We shall see him when he comes. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. We've been talking for three weeks, the three past weeks, about the soon coming king. And uh, we're going to continue that. I did a little, uh, did a, kind of looking around a little bit uh, on some prophecy stuff. Actually, even last night, I was kind of looking at some things. And it came to my attention that today... Uh, the Palestinians uh, near Israel are preparing, or they are celebrating Nakba Day. I guess you would say that, but it's Catastrophe Day. And they're protesting against the creation of Israel 63 years ago. And the idea of the Palestine and the authority is that they have a right to return to Israel, that that land was taken from them. It's really not theirs. It belongs to the Palestinians. And then on uh, Prophecy Today, one of the websites I looked at, they had a quote from the president of uh, Iran, um, Ahmad Ahmadinejad, or however you say the old boy's name. But here's what he said, marking, it's interesting that this is happening, marking the 32nd anniversary of the Islamic Revolution. Uh, in Iran, you may remember, uh, many of us are old enough to remember uh, all that happened about 1979. Our hostages were taken and, and all that good stuff was going on. But at any rate, uh, the president said that with the help of Allah, the new Middle East, the new Middle East will turn into a region without the Zionist regime, the Jewish state of Israel. And the entire world will experience the sweet taste of a world without the Zionist thugs. Hundreds of thousands of Iranians chant slogans supporting the Arab uprisings. They marched in the center of Tehran to mark this 32nd anniversary, uh, which toppled the Shah of Iran. And their cry was death to Israel, death to Israel. But I want to tell you. God has a plan for Israel. And Israel is not going anywhere. And yet when we read the headlines, what we know as we meet this morning, the conditions in the Middle East continue to ripen for the revelation of a man called Antichrist and the ultimate return of the Lord Jesus. For three weeks, as I said, we've been wrestling with the chronology of the soon coming king and the ultimate return of the Lord Jesus. If you remember, we kind of set it up on, we began on Easter Sunday, we set it up talking about the millennial positions and just kind of a snapshot. Uh, two weeks ago, last week, we talked about the subject that uh, we call the rapture. And uh, if you are with us or were with us, this will be review. If not, let me catch you up to date. Um, the Bible says or the Bible teaches that there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus shall part the heavens. He will descend from heaven with a shout, with the trump call of God and the voice of the archangel. The dead in Christ shall rise first. After that, those who are alive uh, in the Lord will be caught up together to meet with them in the air. And the Lord Jesus at that time will descend down into the visible heaven. He will not come to earth, but he will snatch the church out or take the church out. And that's what we call the rapture. 
Now, I shared with you, I'm pre-tribulation, pre-millennial. What that means is I believe that, that there will be a literal thousand-year reign and that Jesus will come for his church before that thousand-year reign. And pre-tribulational means that I believe the best scriptural evidence suggests that Jesus will come and take his church out before the beginning of Revelation. Now, there are others who are mid-trib or post-trib, and there's some biblical evidence for that. But again, I believe the greatest biblical evidence suggests that it will be a pre-tribulational rapture. And if that's true, and I believe it is, what that means is that Jesus is going to come and he's going to take out his church. Now, let me just clarify something. When we say that Jesus is going to come and rapture his church, we're not talking about everybody whose name's on the church roll at the local church, or even on the Sunday school roll at the local church. What we're talking about is those who have been born again by absolute faith and have a living, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, friend, I want to tell you, and I want to encourage you this morning, it's not about being a member of the church. It's about knowing the King of Kings in a very personal in a very real way. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then when that trumpet sounds and the voice of the archangel calls out, you will be dead or alive. You're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Last week we discovered it was inevitable. It's going to happen. We discovered it was imminent. It could happen at any moment. And then we also noted that it's going to be immediate. It will happen in the twinkling of an eye. The very, uh, matter of fact, the Greek word for that is atomos means it is indivisible in the smallest amount of time possible. Jesus will snatch his church up and they will be gone. And so my question this morning is when Jesus comes and takes away the church, then what? What is going to be happening here when we're there? What is it that's next? And I, you know, a lot of people say, well, it really doesn't matter because I'm not going to be here. Well, in fact, I think it does matter because I think we need to know what's coming because there are people in our family and there are people in our circle. There are people in our, in the context of our life that aren't prepared for what's to come. And we need to know what we believe so we can act accordingly for those around us. And so let's talk about what has happened. Again, if the return is inevitable, I want to spend a few minutes this morning speaking about the subject of the impending wrath of God. The rapture is inevitable and the wrath of God is impending. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6, but I want to read for you 1 Thessalonians 1.10. We looked at just a few days ago where it says uh, that we're to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us, us being the church, the born again believers in Jesus Christ, who rescues us from the coming wrath. There is a wrath of God, a wrath of heaven to be revealed. And we're not talking about eternal damnation in hell. That's down the road. We're talking about the wrath of God that is going to be poured out on a world that knows not his son, Jesus Christ, and has not obeyed him and come to faith in him. And that is that begins sometime soon after the church is taken out. And that is the period we call 
uh, the tribulation or the seven years of tribulation. Some call it the great tribulation. It kind of culminates with the greatest of tribulations on the great day of the Lord, which we will look at. But what I want to do this morning is I want to read from Revelation 6, and I have been really wrestling uh, with this subject a good bit this week. But why don't we read, this is an interesting chapter. It kind of begins the, uh, the whole perspective, and I want us to read it. It's a lot of text, but it's very important. And so why don't you join me? Let's read there in, uh, in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. John writes, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown. And he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out. A fiery red horse. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. And to him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a day's wage and three quarts of barley for a day's wage and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Why don't we stop there? That's as far as we'll get today. Let's stop there and pray, and then I want to explain to you why and where we are. So shall we pray together? Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we have, we have gotten to the middle here, of, of, uh, or a little past the middle of the seal judgments. And God, I pray that this morning as we unpack this text and uh, reveal what you're saying to us about this tribulation period, I pray for wisdom. God, again, I pray that you would speak through me and Lord, that I would say every word that you want to be said. And Father, I would forget every word that needs to be forgotten. But God, that I might speak with clarity about this tribulation that is to come. Father, those of us who are believers, we need to know what we believe and why so we can be ready and we can be prepared and we can be proactive in this matter of evangelism. And then, Father, uh, perhaps in the auditorium this morning, there are those who have not yet opened their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are not yet born again. Perhaps they're members of a church, maybe this one or another, but in their heart, They're not saved and born again. And God, my hope would be that this morning your spirit would speak into their life clearly and plainly. And they would realize there's a great need to be saved and to be born again. And so, God, I just trust you and I ask you to speak to us in a great and mighty way. And, Father, when you do, we'll give you the glory and the honor for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Now, we have read of the first four of the seven seals, and so let me kind of explain to you what I believe we're looking at and what we're talking about here. What I believe we've read, now, you may want to go home today and tonight or in the morning in your quiet time and go ahead and read the rest of chapter 6. If you do that, you'll wind up reading more, okay, because you'll kind of want to know. But what we have is we have the beginning of the description of the tribulation. Uh, I believe this chapter 6 and is really the, the, the summary, if you will, or the synopsis of this great tribulation period. It's a snapshot of everything that's going to happen during these seven tumultuous years. Now, I want you to look back with me. I want you to look back to chapter 5 because interestingly enough, uh, John has this vision. Notice verse 1. John, John writes, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now you'll want to note, first of all, that the one who sat on the throne is none other than the Almighty God, the Father, the Ancient of Days, the Holy One of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the one who is seated on the throne. And in his hand was this title deed, this scroll, if you will, which was the title deed uh, to the earth. And um, as John looked around, there was no one worthy to open the scroll. And if you remember the, the account, we looked at it uh, a month or two ago, he began to weep because there was no one found worthy. And then one of the angels says, do not weep. Look, there." Is one, and he looked, and there was a lamb looking as if he had been slain. And the lamb of God took the scroll, and he began to unwrap it. And what we have beginning in Revelation 6 is we have the contents of what the, the, the one seated on the throne, the God of the universe, we have the contents of the scroll. And when Jesus, the lamb of God, took the scroll and unrolled it, he began to reveal for us what is going to come. Now, you'll notice that it, the text says that the scroll was sealed with seven seals. Now, if you know, if you remember, uh, if you've studied any about uh, prophecy and numbers, you know that the number seven is significant. Uh, seven is always symbolical of completeness or perfection. Seven is always Considered to be the number that makes it complete or the number that makes it perfect. And so what we have when, when you unpack these seven seals, you have the complete revelation of what's going to happen during the tribulation. Now what makes that interesting is when you get to the seventh seal, at the seventh seal, there's an, there are seven angels and they have seven trumpets of judgment. And so you, we'll work our way, you'll work your way through some of those. You get to reading in the, in the, uh, in the book of Revelation. And you get to the seventh seal, and you've, as you work your way through there, you will get to seven plagues or seven bowls of judgment. And at the completion of the seventh bowl of judgment, you will have uh, the totality uh, of the description of what's going to happen in tribulation. But that's getting the proverbial cart before the horse. We don't want to get there. We can't get there. Now, if you're a young guy and you don't understand the cart before the horse, what, what I'm saying is we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. That's down there. 
We want to talk about these first couple of uh, seals. Uh, theologians call these first four seals the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Some of you football fans remember the four horsemen of Notre Dame. Well, well, they were good, but these guys are, are, they're not better, but they're stronger and they're more powerful. And so we're going to talk about them this morning. Uh, matter of fact, John MacArthur in his commentary made the observation that in scripture, horses are often associated with triumph, with majesty, with power, and with conquest. And so when we look at these four horsemen this morning, we're going to, um, we're going to look at uh, some powerful stuff that is going to transpire. I want to borrow a description, I guess, if you will, from Dr. Adrian Rogers. He wrote a book on Revelation, and, and he's uh, given, a, given a good description of each one. And I'm going to kind of share that and use that as a jumping off point. But, but let's look at these four horsemen uh, just quickly this morning. And, uh, and we'll kind of talk about them. I'll try to explain them to you in a way that will help you understand. Verse 2 says, I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Now, uh, some people when they see the white horse, they think, well, my stars, that's got to be the same uh, person as Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus descends from heaven with a white horse. No, 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 no. That's not what's here. This white horse, this first revelation, this, this one that has a bow, this one that has a conqueror and that's been on conquest, uh, this is none other than the revelation of Antichrist. This is the Antichrist, the first. See, see, here's what's going to happen. Uh, while, while the church is preparing to be raptured, God, you know, there, there's this, this man of sin. Uh, this Antichrist is poised uh, to take position. And I believe soon and very soon uh, when the church is taken out of the way, and he may even be on the scene a little bit before the church is raptured away, but he's going to be, uh, he's going to come to light. And this guy is going to be the wisest, smartest, most intelligent uh, person that the world has ever known. And, uh, and I just got an idea that perhaps when, the, when we disappear, he's going to be the guy that has the answer and be able to explain to people, this is where they've gone. This is what happened. But at any rate, this Antichrist is going to come upon the scene. And uh, he is none other than the devil's Messiah. Uh, interestingly enough, Dr. Rogers calls him Satan's Superman, he is going to have a tremendous, tremendous amount of power. The bow symbolizes power. The the crown symbolizes dominion. And so during the great tribulation, uh, this Antichrist, because Satan rules and has dominion over the earth, this Messiah of him will, will manifest himself. He's going to have answers to many, if not all, of the world's problems. He's going to be able to solve this crisis in the Middle East. You know, we've never had peace in the Middle East, but a day is coming, the Bible says, uh, after the church is taken out, when Antichrist is going to be able to negotiate a peace in the Middle East. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the Bible says um, that he's going to be able to make a pact with Israel that is tremendously, uh, that's just, it's going to be able to, to accomplish peace. Daniel 9 27 says, do we, do we have, can we pop that up on the screen? Daniel 9 27. 
See if we can get that. Daniel 9, 27. Listen to... Uh, oh, there we go. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. That's the tribulation seven. It's a whole other... There's a lot of stuff. Take my word for it. In the middle of the seven, in the middle of the tribulation period, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that caused this desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out for him. Let me just summarize it. Let me just summarize it this way. Uh, now, D- Daniel, by the way, was written about 535, give or take a few years, before the time of Christ. And Daniel had the prophecy of the 70 weeks, but week 70, the 70th week, is the seven-year transition period. The first three and a half of those years are going to be a time of peace uh, in the Middle East that we've talked about. He's going to negotiate some type of covenant and agreement with Israel. There will be peace between Israel and all those that want to defeat and destroy them. And uh, he, is, he is going to be a mastermind, and he's going to have the ability to negotiate this peace. But in the middle of the tribulation period, in the middle of that time, he is going to, uh, what Daniel calls, uh, bring into the uh, temple uh, of God uh, this abomination that causes desolation. Matter of fact, Jesus uh, talked about it in Matthew twenty four fifteen. Jesus talked about how uh, you know, he, the abomination of desolation is going to be standing in the holy place. And so, you know, here's the thing, y'all, we've seen, we've had the, in our lifetime, you know, in some of your lifetime, we've seen some great world leaders. And, you know, there have been great, there have been powerful leaders. I mean, you can go back to, you know, some of them have been powerful. Some of them have been very uh, disruptive and destructive. I mean, you can go back to the Roman emperors like Nero, and they were horrible. You can go to, uh, like, Domitian. Uh, you can look back and, and look at Hitler and the Holocaust that he uh, presented and, and Stalin over in uh, in Russia back in the early years. I mean, you can look at all these leaders. I mean, they, these guys were, were rampant, raging destroyers. But they are really nothing compared to what the Antichrist is going to become in the second half of his reign. As a matter of fact, over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's go back to 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. I want you to listen to Paul's description of Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2, why don't we pick up in verse 3. Now, the church was concerned there that the rapture or the second coming had already transpired. And, and Paul writes, he says, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs. Now, the rebellion there may well be... Now, a lot of times we like to think of the rebellion as, well, the church or the apostasy, uh, the church and, and all that. But it may well be, the rebellion may very well be when Antichrist stops the sacrifice in the temple in the middle of the tribulation and desecrates the the holy place of God, the abomination of desolation that's standing in the holy place. And then it says, uh, until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, lawlessness means he's going to break the law, he's going to violate the very law, is revealed, the man doomed to destruction, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. And so this guy is quite quite a piece of work. He's going to be smarter than anybody can imagine. He's going to be more deceptive than anyone can comprehend. 
And he's going to be more destructive than anything the world has ever known or ever seen. He is going to be empowered by the enemy. And when he desecrates the temple, it will signal the beginning of what Jeremiah calls Jacob's trouble, this time of tremendous persecution toward Israel. As a matter of fact, listen to how Jesus described it. Go to Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24. And I want you to listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. Listen, this just this is right out of the mouth of Jesus. A lot of people say, well, you know, I don't understand prophecy and I'm not really sure about Daniel and the prophecy of the seventh, 70 weeks. And, and people say, well, you know, I'm not sure about this or that. Listen, the Lord Jesus spoke plainly and clearly about what's to come. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 15. Notice what he says. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation. In other words, you see this pagan ruler standing in the holy of holies, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't know what it's going to look like, but that's what it's going to be. It's spoken of through the prophet Daniel. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. And so when we see that, what we know is that this Antichrist who is to come, and there's more about him, you can read about him, the mark of the beast, and and, and many of those things. Uh, Revelation 13 will give you some insight there. But we know this, man, he's going to come. And he's going to usher in this seven years, and the first three and a half, man, they're going to look pretty good. But man, the last three and a half, they're going to be worse than the world can even imagine. And so that brings us to the second horse of the apocalypse or the second horseman back in revelation uh chapter six let's pick up there i think it's in verse three it says when the lamb opened the second seal i heard a second living creature say come then another horse came out a fiery red one its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other to him was given a large sword. And so what we know there, the, the white horse is the white horse of, uh, uh, of dominion. The red horse would be called the red horse of destruction. Uh, often in scripture, red references the color of blood and death and destruction. And, and here's what we know. Y'all, we live in a world that has the capability to conduct and carry out massive amounts of destruction. You know, it was hard for people uh, pre-1945, it was probably hard for people to understand that people could be slaughtered by the millions in a moment's notice. But we now live in a country where uh, it's, it's, it's very possible with nuclear uh, arms uh, for the world to be destroyed just in a matter of moments. I mean, within uh, they tell me that, that uh, there's not a city in the world that can't be struck with a nuclear weapon within 30 minutes. And so within, within some 30-minute span, uh, literally uh, any city in the world uh, that's of significance 
could be destroyed with nuclear power. I did some research, or a little bit of research, and I assume this is right, but the Arms Control Association uh, tells us that there, there are five, uh, there were five nations that were a part of the uh, nuclear uh, proliferation treaty that was, I think, back in about, I think in the late 1960s. But China, Russia, France, uh, the United States, and the United Kingdom, these five nations all have nuclear power or nuclear arms and have the ability uh, to destroy or to, uh, to bring great destruction to one another. And then, uh, not part of that treaty, we also know that India has uh, nuclear weaponry. We also know that Pakistan has nuclear weaponry. And we also know that Israel has nuclear weaponry. As a matter of fact, Paige Patterson, president of Southwestern Seminary, he says that they, you know, that they've got a, uh, that Israel has a nuclear warhead aimed at every major capital uh, in, in the Middle Eastern Arabian Empire. That every Islamic state, uh, according to him, they have a missile uh, facing them and uh, directed toward them. And not only, but not only do those people have capability, but what concerns, should concern us the most is Iran, who's the greatest enemy uh, of Israel and one of the greatest of the United States, is on the brink of nuclear weaponry. North Korea withdrew from this treaty, this NPT, in 2003 so they could test nuclear weapons. And, you know, and so, so here's what I'm saying. Uh, literally, at, at the disposal of men is the ability to bring great amounts of death and destruction all over the world at literally a moment's notice. And the Bible teaches that during this time, uh, this time of tribulation... There's going to be a great amount of destruction and death. Uh, the red horse is, represents death and its rider, uh, it represents this destruction. And so let's look at the, another horse, the, the third horse. If you look with me, I think it's verse 5. It says, when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands, and I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures, saying, of quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and wine. Well, this red or this black horse is what we might call the black horse of deprivation because one of the casualties of war, one of the casualties of war and one of the casualties of great war and destruction is always going to be Famine, any kind, whether it's a natural disaster or a man-made disaster, when you have a great disaster, one of the greatest challenges is going to be feeding the survivors. If, if you don't think that's true, remember when Haiti was struck with the earthquake? Remember how devastating it was to see the pictures and how they couldn't get clean water and they couldn't get food to people. So imagine in the middle of a nuclear holocaust, in the middle of great war and great deprivation, imagine how difficult it will be to get food to people. Now, we live in a world where, you know, uh, certainly not in America, but in many places in the world, uh, most people uh, have enough to eat. Now, there are places where, where tonight uh, men and women and boys and girls are going to go to bed hungry without something to eat. But this scripture tells me and tells us that in the day of tribulation, that that's going to become more and more the rule and less and less the exception that there's going to be great famine, there's going to be great starvation because people aren't going to be able to get their needs met. 
As a matter of fact, what the, what the, uh, the voice, by the way, the voice from the middle of the four living creatures, probably God himself that says, a quart of wheat for a denarius, that's a day's wage for a meal. For enough to feed your family is going to cost you a day's wage. So, so what a time of deprivation that is going to be. That's the black horse. And that day, uh, hunger is going to be the rule rather than the exception. This, then let's look at the fourth horse there, the fourth one there, if you'll look with me. In verse 7, it says, When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. And they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Now, interestingly enough, um, the word pale is from the word chloros. Now, you might, you know, we think about, uh, I don't know if you remember this, when you took botany when you were in high school or whatever, or, or biology. You remember uh, plants have the green stuff, and we got a word chlorophyll. You know, uh, there was a photosynthetic process and all that good stuff. Well, so that's the same derivative. And so we get this green kind of, but it's not a, it's not a bright, pretty green like we see out here, but it's more of a sickly green. You know, the, there's another word that, that's similar to chloros. Uh, in fact, you put it in your white clothing sometimes it's called Clorox. It is bleach. And so, so it's this, and so the idea is this pale, sickly, uh, looking, this ashen looking horse that comes riding on the scene. And when he comes riding on the scene, he represents death. Simply put, not war, not natural disaster, but this seal represents the death that is going to be spread upon the earth. And so we could call him the pale horse of decimation because he has the power. If you notice there, he has the power to destroy one fourth of the world's population through famine, through sword, and through the pestilence or plagues and by the wild bees. So imagine with me, just for a minute, if he were to come today, if this were to transpire today, 1.7 billion people and change would be destroyed by death. Now, what we know is the world didn't get any smaller. Population isn't going down. It's going up. And so what a tremendous, tremendous amount of death and destruction is going to ravage this planet when he comes. And you'll notice there that it says that death is followed by Hades. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. Now, sometimes we think of that as hell, uh, but other times it's translated as the grave, and, and that's probably the best translation here, uh, probably the best translation. Its rider was named Death, and the grave was following close behind him. Hey, any of you ever, you, you ever seen the, the, one of the TV commercials for one of the, one of the, uh, heart medicines and they got the, this guy's walking along and they got the hospital bed following him along. Have you seen that? You know, that's the picture here. Death is coming and the grave is following behind him. And one in four that are left on earth are going to die because of famine, because of sword, 
because of pestilence or plague or because death by the wild beast. Because the grave is following after that. And um, here's what's kind of interesting. And in, in when you look at this, it's, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, we live in a pretty technologically advanced and intellectually advanced culture. Um, so, you know, you would think that, that we'd be able to feed people, but the devastation is going to be so severe we won't be able to feed people. You'd think that uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't kill uh, one another that dramatically, but there'll be so much war going on that, that, uh, that we'll be killing uh, one another. And you'd think that pestilence and plague wouldn't, wouldn't be in, in a technologically and intellectually advanced culture like ours. Uh, that wouldn't happen. But, but how many of you remember, remember just a few years ago the, all the buzz about the H1N1 virus? Remember how it was going to, you know, it was going to kill all these people and, you know, we're, we're concerned about all these plagues. Well, the Bible says that there's going to be some plagues that are so great and there's going to be deaths so great that one in four people across the globe are going to die. And then it uses the term wild beast. And that's kind of interesting uh, because it, it literally it, it can refer to any animal that's not human. And I've kind of been reading this, you know. How can that, I mean, we have guns, you know, I mean, we, how can that, how can that be true in a generation like ours? How can wild bees be a part of killing over a billion people? How can that happen? And, and here's, here's something that's kind of interesting. And, and at least two of the people I read suggested that it might be, it might be that, um, that the death is going to come um, from rats that, you know, rats are everywhere. They're in the world. They're, they get in the food supply. And you, you know, you can't really kill them. You know, they reproduce four or five litters a year, eight or 10 rats per litter. And then they, and, and the rat, and they go back and talk about, uh, the back in the 14th century, they had this bubonic plague that killed a, a third to a fourth of the population of Europe. And, uh, but imagine a, a world so devastated by war and destruction that we can't control something like that. And, and, and so there's just somehow, some way, there's going to be a great amount of death that sweeps over this planet because of the tribulation. Now, the only way I know to help us get perspective, I've got, a, there's four in my family. That means one of us, if we were here, wouldn't make it. One in four. That's not talking about the ones that are injured or whose lives are all messed up. And so what a, what a, what a great amount of destruction it's going to be. What a great, uh, great, terrible, terrible day that that's going to be. Now, Dr. Rogers made an interesting observation. He says, he says the interesting thing about it is that, you know, with Hades falling behind it, death can claim the body. But hell is what claims the soul. And those who are still here and die without Christ are going to spend eternity in a hell created for the devil and his angels. And they're going to spend eternity in a hell separated from a holy God.
Now, greater than all the destruction, greater than all the famine, greater than all the war, greater than all the death is condemnation to a devil's hell. And the Bible says that those who die without Christ are going to spend eternity in the lake of fire, separated from God. Now, a question that we need to wrestle with I think each of us need to wrestle with which side of the rapture are you going to be on? Are you going out with the church because you have a personal living relationship with Jesus Christ? Or are you going to be left behind to experience this? It's going to be one or the other. If the rapture were to come today, it would be one or the other for us. One or the other. Let me share this verse and then we're going to close. Second Corinthians 13.5. It's going to come up on your screen. It says, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Would you bow your heads? For just a moment. And I want to. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I've tried to give you a little bit of a picture. Of the first part of the tribulation. We'll look at more later. What we know. Is that Jesus is going to come. And take his church out. And those who are raptured. Are going to miss this. Those who aren't. Are going to experience this. And, and my question for you. Is are you in the faith. A man ought to examine himself. And so what I want you to do this morning, what I want to ask you to do this morning, is to examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. When you search your heart, when you look into your life, do you know that you know That Jesus Christ lives in your heart. It's not about being a church member. It's not about being a Baptist. It's not about being on a Sunday school role. It's not about being good. Let a man examine himself and see if he is in the faith. Does Jesus Christ live in your heart by faith? Yes or no? Yes or no? Father, this morning we've been reminded with a glimpse, and Lord, I believe it's just a mere glimpse of what the Bible says is to come.
And God, as I understand the Scriptures, every man without Christ, every woman without Christ, is going to face, if they're alive when you come, is going to face the tribulation. And God, I, I, I don't say that to, you know, to, to, to scare people or whatever. God, I say that because you said that. And Jesus, you said there's never been a time like it, nor will there ever be a time like it again. And so my heart and my hope is for people to get ready. And, and Father, the Bible says the only way to be ready is to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. You can't get ready by joining the church. You can't get ready uh, by being a, a good person. You can't even get ready by getting baptized or getting confirmed or getting this or that. The only way to get ready, God, the Bible says, is to be born again by personal living faith in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that, that every person would examine their heart today. Today. And see if they're in the faith. And God, if they're not in the faith, that today, this morning, they would surrender their heart and their life to Jesus Christ. God, I I ask you to have your will and your way in every person's heart, in every person's life. And we'll give you the honor and the glory for all that you do. For it's in Christ's name that I pray. Here's what I'm going to ask us to do in just a moment. I'm going to ask us to stand and, and, and the choir's going to sing. And I'm going to ask you to, to search your heart. If, you, if you're not absolutely certain that Christ lives in your heart and that you're born again, if you don't know that you know, Wyatt's going to be down here, I'll be down here, we'd be happy to take God's Word and help you settle that issue. You don't, you don't want to miss out. And I don't want you to go, you know, every week Pastor Mike talks about it. You you bet I do. Your eternity is in the balance. Don't leave today without knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior.